morning and greetings in Jesus' name. I also want to thank the church. We've been, we've been blessed. We've been kind of overwhelmed with all the gifts and, and the recent love offering and, and even the fun things like the 12 days of Christmas that someone here has got to be doing. So we, we appreciate that. We, we're having fun with it. Um, and, and we're very grateful to you as a church. As, as mentioned already, I'm going to be talking about the Christmas story, you could say. And I have two questions that I want to answer, or start answering, you could say, this morning. One was, or the one question is, how did Jesus come? And we want to talk a little bit about that. We want to look into some things on how Jesus came. And, and then I want to continue the discussion, and thank you, Sam, for bringing that up, on why Jesus came. And so we'll, we'll look at those two questions primarily this morning. Before, I, before we do that, I want to just look a little bit at what the world was like when Jesus came. Um, I enjoy history, and so I could have probably spent most of this morning actually just talking about this kind of thing, but I, I condensed it and kept it very brief because there's probably more important things to talk about. Um, as you see, and you can learn, turn to Luke chapter 2 if you, our Bibles aren't already open to there, and we'll be taking some verses out of here as we go through this. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, you see that Jesus came in the time of Caesar Augustus. This was a, well, his actual name was Octavian. He was self-named Caesar Augustus, which basically he gave himself the title. Um, Augustus would give him the idea that he viewed himself as, uh, um, what's the word? I'm drawing a blank here now, but it, he, he, was, he was higher. He was, it was some glory associated with this, and Caesar would have been just a pass down from Julius Caesar. He came to power after Julius Caesar was murdered, um, and there was a lot of civil war right previous to this time of, him, of Caesar Augustus coming to power. And eventually, he would have defeated all his, his uh, other, you could say, people vying for power over this time and came to the place of ruling the Roman Empire entirely by himself. He would have been what I think was called the first emperor of Rome and would have brought with it a lot of time, excuse me, would have brought with it through this time a lot of peace. Once he came to power, um, and his ultimate authority, he actually brought a, a time of prosperity and peace for, for much of the Roman Empire. And for many would have been somewhat viewed as a political savior through this time. And this would have all been just before the time of Jesus. Um, you also see before the time of Jesus, King Herod specifically, and this is just in the land of Palestine, would have been ruling um, the land of Palestine under the authority of the Roman government. And as long as he, he was a friend, he was a part Jew, but he was also a friend of Rome. And as long as he kept peace in Rome, and as long as he obeyed the Roman authority, he was allowed to rule and even had the title as a king. Herod was a, was a fairly brutal man, actually. And, and especially as you look through his life, as he gets older, he becomes more his authority, he pushes around his authority more and more and he becomes increasingly brutal and you see him murder members of his family um, out of jealousy or fear of losing his crown or whatever, different reasons. And you, you also see his brutality increase 
throughout the, the Jewish world in that time. And you see some of that play out um, after Jesus was born and him killing all the babies of Bethlehem. A completely reckless um, thing. I don't think Herod had a lot to worry about, a little baby competing with him in power. But that, that, was, that was Herod, um, especially during this time. For many in Israel, though, despite some of these things, this, would have, this time period, especially through Jesus' life and some of the time after that, would have been actually a somewhat prosperous time. Um, most of the known world was at peace, and a lot of trade went right through Israel. And so if you had, you had a good trade or a good job, you could, you could make a good living. And at least according to history, and despite the Jews hating Roman rule and the taxes and all that went with it, for many, this, could have been, this was somewhat of a prosperous time. Spiritually, though, this was a very dark time for Israel. Um, looking back, all throughout Israel's long history, you see the glory of God, or you see God's presence with them. Um, you know, starting when they were freed from Egypt, there was a pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. God's presence was, presence was with them. In the tabernacle, his presence filled the Holy of Holies. The, when the temple, when Solomon built his temple, the glory of God came down and filled the temple, filled the Holy of Holies. And the priests would have, the high priest would have each year went into this presence, would have experienced this being, I don't know if you call it face to face, but in the presence of glory of God, and there was a lot of blessings that went with God's presence in the people, to the people of Israel. But yet, over the years, if you, if you read through the history of, of Israel, you see them slowly taking this for granted. God's blessings and God's presence with them, just increasingly. And, and you see them slowly rebelling. Um, more and more of his laws, they were neglecting. And you see idols starting to come in. Um, and as many prophets, and as you read through these prophets, calling to them to repent, yet you see this just increasing um, walking away from God, you could say. Lack of appreciation, the blessings that come with the presence of God. In Ezekiel, again, you see at this time they had many gods, and there was worship, there was idolatry everywhere, even in the very core of the temple. And then you see in Ezekiel chapter 10, God's glory depart from the temple. What would have been, I can only imagine what would have been the first time the high priest went back into the Holy of Holies and God's presence wasn't there. And, and you see, just, it would have been empty. And whether the other people knew that or not, but you see God's presence depart from the temple. And it wasn't many years later then that Babylon the Babylonians came in, invaded, and destroyed the temple. And you see them rebuild the temple many years later, but I don't think there's any indication of, of God's glory ever returning to the temple. And correct me if I'm wrong on that. Israel's only hope for many years was Haggai's prophecy that one day, one day, his glory would fill the temple again. So a dark time. This would, have been, this would have been a number of years from the time of, of Ezekiel to the time of Jesus' birth. Many years of silence. And you see prophets, you know, there's prophecies about Jesus coming, the Messiah. And that would have been probably about their only hope, clinging to this Messiah 
coming. But God's presence was not, I think I'm right in saying, was not in the temple for many years. And, and you don't see many prophets from the time of Malachi to the time of Matthew or Jesus coming. There's very few prophets or people speaking God's word to his people. And this is the political and spiritual state that Israel was in when, when God's glory comes down. This time he doesn't come veiled in a temple. This time he's displayed in the person of Jesus Christ. All right, let's, let's look at this question of how Jesus came. How did Jesus come? We'll start in, in, in verse 7. It says, and she brought, sorry, chapter 2, verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. He came as a baby. Think about this with me. So God's silent for many years, and now God's voice is heard again. But it's a cry of a baby. Now imagine with me a little bit what, what Mary and Joseph would have felt, what they would have thought for the first time to held baby Jesus. Now, I remember, I remember very specific, very exactly how I felt the first time I held each one of our children. Um, there's joy, there's amazement, there's, there's responsibility. There's a little one that is looking to you for their very life, for everything, everything. Very, they depend on you for everything. And yet, as they're holding this baby, the angels had told them that this was going to be their Messiah. Imagine, imagine this. And you see that um, in verse 19. This is after the shepherds came. And, and just the whole event of the night, or however long this period was, says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Um, what, 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 what was that like to hold Jesus? This is God himself come down in a baby. You see, you see Jesus humbling himself. This, this is, we, we don't quite understand how gl the glory God has in heaven and, and just his full glory, but to, just, just to come to this earth is a tremendous humbling or lowering, lowering of yourself. Um, and he humbles himself and puts his very life in the care of Mary and Joseph. He's completely reliant, actually, for his very life on them, on his creation, his very creation. He comes and puts his life in their hands. This wasn't the way he was supposed to come, according to many people. Many people this day would have liked their Messiah to come as a mighty warrior. He was supposed to come on, a horse, on horseback, crying for deliverance of God's people. That's how he was supposed to come. And he was supposed to deliver the Jews from, from the nation, the Roman nation or the Romans, and bring Israel back to its glory. That's, that's how he was supposed to come, according to many people. And I think all of Israel would have rallied behind a, a, someone like that coming. They would have gladly rallied behind that and followed him. So why did Jesus not come as a mighty warrior? Why did he not come as a mighty warrior? And, and just one reason, I think, 
he, he did not come as a mighty warrior. Was, and I appreciate this last week, Paul, you, you brought up the idea that Jesus did not just come for Israel. And that's, you, you see that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. He came for all of humanity. And I think if, if he would have just came for the nation of Israel, he could have came as a mighty warrior. He could have freed them. But he didn't have political ambitions because that limits, that very much limits Jesus and his power to geographical or political or racial boundaries. That, that's, that would have been the limit of his power, what, what the land he rules or the people he rules. But he came to call all men to himself. And I'm so grateful for that. And, and maybe a little bit of homework this week as you celebrate Christmas Continue to think about, and maybe you have answers to this question, why did Jesus come in the most helpless form of humanity as a baby? Why did Jesus come as a baby? And, and I'll leave it at that. I continue to think about that. Maybe, maybe people have more on that. All right, let's look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to go back just a little bit. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Continuing to answer this question, how did Jesus come? Luke chapter 1, 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Actually, I'll stop there for now. Jesus came as a Nazarene. Very interesting. So this town of, of excuse me, I'm getting my notes all mixed up here. So the town of Nazareth was, was a fairly small, crowded town from what I can tell from history, and, and a town that's a number of miles off of any main road. There's not a lot to, there wasn't a lot to this town. In fact, if you look in the Bible, chronologically, this is probably, I think this is the first time Nazareth was ever mentioned in all the history of Israel. And you can even look at writings of Josephus, um, some of the other prominent writings Nazareth is not mentioned until this time. It's such a forgotten, lowly place that it's never worth mentioning. And yet Jesus identifies with this place, and all through his life he's called Jesus of Nazareth. Interesting. Um, an interesting fact there, in Acts 24, 5, his, his followers were also called Nazarenes. They associated with the place of Nazareth, with the lowly with the forgotten. How did Jesus come? He came as a Nazarene. He was born, you could, I think I'm, it'd be accurate to say he was born into the low class of the time. There was the phrase, what good could come out of Nazareth? That's where Jesus came. And you see that all through his life, he, he again and again cared for the lowly, for the forgotten, for the outcast. And I think you, you could say he even identified with them in his very name, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, verse 27, let's go back to Luke 1, verse 27. Actually, I'll read 26 and 27 again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Jesus was born 
of a virgin. Culturally, this was not the ideal way to come. This was not ideal. Not, not in our eyes, not in their eyes. Um, there was a likely, actually there would have been a lot of suspicion and gossip and Joseph would have wanted to put her away to get, yeah, break up this, this engagement. And this, this gossip and suspicion for those who knew Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have followed Jesus even in, all through his life, even into his ministry. There's likely those who would have always viewed him as an illegitimate child. But the virgin birth is, is actually incredibly important because it joins, it joins his eternal nature as God and his temporal nature as man. He could be God's son, and yet he could still be fully man. And, and as mentioned in, in Genesis, I think it's Genesis 3 there, where he was going to come from the seed of a woman, and that was fulfilled, but yet he was God's son. Um, jumping forward again, back to Luke 2, it mentions in Luke chapter 2, verse, verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. How did Jesus come? He came as a baby and he was laid in a manger in a feed trough. And, and there's a lot of, this, is, this was fascinating to me, there's actually a lot of disagreement on whether Jesus was born in a stable or a cave or, or just in the lower part of the houses at that time, which often at night the smaller animals would come into. So either way, he was born in a place that animals were generally kept. And I don't know, not many of us are fa farmers, but, but it just doesn't smell good when you're around animals. I, I love animals, I actually really do, but it just generally doesn't smell good. It's not a desirable setting for a birth. That's how Jesus came. Very humble provisions. And as I was thinking about this, and just the, the incredible, incredible miracle that is that God comes down as a man. Thinking about this, and, and I had to ask this question, do we as Christians look down on others among us? Those among us, those we relate to, do we look down on them if they're poor, if they're smelly, they're outcast, or of low social status. I hope not, because that's how our Savior came. He associated with those things. Let's, let's never base the value of someone on their surroundings. The value of a person is based rather on them being made in the image of God and their soul being eternal. Back to this question of how did Jesus come? He came exactly the way it was prophesied he would come. And you see this in many, many, many prophecies. I didn't know where to stop, so I didn't include a whole lot of them. But we'll just touch a few of them. Think about it a little bit. So Mary and Joseph had no reason to travel the whole way to Bethlehem. There, there's, I think I'm right in saying there's about 70 miles between Nazareth and Bethlehem. Mary would have been pregnant, so travel would have been likely very uncomfortable and uh, no good reason but God uses a man Caesar Augustus an emperor or a dictator as we would call him today to proclaim a census 
for tax purposes, just to get Mary, I mean, you can say just to get, but to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, where you see Jesus, son of God, is born, just as prophesied in Micah 5.2. And that, that kind of thing happened all through the life of Jesus, again and again, just as prophesied many years before. In Isaiah 7.14, he would be born of a virgin. That was prophesied in Isaiah 7.14, and we see that in the story in Luke 2 there. Um, he would be of the tribe of Judah and the Lion of David, as, as prophesied in Isaiah 11 and Jeremiah 23. And, and we see that in verse 4 of Luke 2. Joseph, went out, went, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, just as prophesied. So why did, why did so many people miss his coming? And I'm, I'm not going to answer that question this morning. Maybe that's more homework for you this week as you think about Christmas and, and as you celebrate Christmas this week. Why did so many people miss his coming? It was just as prophesied. All right, let's look at, look at the question now, why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did Jesus lower himself to be a man and to walk on this earth? He made himself lower than the angels. He made himself no reputation and took on him the form of a man. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, you see Adam and Eve disobey God and they sinned. And at that point, I just read that this morning again. At that point, it feels like Satan won. God had created this beautiful world, created Adam and Eve, and it was all messed up after that, just like that. Satan won. That's what it looks like. Um, but yet you see in Genesis chapter 3, 15, God tells the serpent, or Satan, that the woman's seed will bruise thy head. And that is pointing forward to Jesus. You could say that's the first gospel message preached in the Bible. So Jesus came to redeem or make right what sin messed up. That'd be one reason Jesus came. And Jesus coming as a baby, I think we do well to wonder, just wonder. Sometimes sit and meditate on this idea of Jesus coming as a baby because he loved us. He humbled himself to be fully dependent on his creation and then even sacrificed his very life for something we did, for our sin, just to break the, those chains and the, that bondage. There is, there is no other religion in the world that has a God that loves his people and comes down to earth as a man to walk among them, to show them a better way, and then take their penalty and die for them. There's no other religion. That's not something that men can think up. I just don't think it is. I think only, only a divine God in all his love can even begin to understand and do something like this. I think we do well this Christmas season to, to often, often stop and consider how much God loves us how far he went to have a relationship with you. 
to restore that relationship. <clears throat> All right, back to this question, why did Jesus come to earth? Jesus came, another reason Jesus came to call sinners, as you see in Luke 5, a few chapters later, 532, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I think the key word there is repentance. Jesus came to call us to repentance. Another reason I think Jesus came to this earth is Jesus came to save life. And you can see many, many verses. Um, I'll just, uh, John 3, 16 and 17, again, is an example for that. For God so loved the world that he gave not, that he gave his, sorry, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. He came to save life. Um, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to kill, sorry, only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What a wonderful promise. That's why Jesus came. Jesus also came so that believers, us as believers, can walk in the light. And you see all through his ministry, again and again, he talks about him being the light and showing the way. John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. We, we have a light. We have, we have someone who has shown us the way, and that's Jesus Jesus came to show us the Father, and you could spend a whole message on, or you could talk about this for a long time. Think about it, though. If Jesus came to do his Father's will, like he says, it's in John 6, I think. He talks about, yeah, I came to do my Father's will. Then that means everything he did on this earth is a reflection of who God is and what he cares about. Think about that as you read through the life of Jesus. And, and what he cares about, who he cares about, what he says. It's a clear reflection of God's heart. There's a really interesting passage, and Sam, you read it this morning. I appreciate that. In, in Luke 4.16, and let's just turn there. I know it was read already, but we'll read it again. Luke 4. 16, and I'll read to 21. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus fulfilled this scripture here. Look at this. This, this is a big part of why Jesus came. And you could say this is why Jesus came. This is, a, I think, a pretty good window into what God cares about, the heart of, the heart of God. 
He sent him to preach the gospel to the poor. Heal those who are brokenhearted. Preach deliverance to the captives. Praise God. Recovering of sight to the blind, those who are deceived. Set at liberty them that are bruised, and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You see, all through Jesus' ministry, he cares for he cares for the sick, he cares for the sinners, he cares for the poor, the hungry, the naked, the captive. That's the heart of God. Jesus came to show us heart of his father let's let's also turn to Matthew 25 and I'm not going to say a whole lot more than to just read this passage but this is something that God God really cares about chapter 25 verse 31 and and in this passage or this section this is what at the end what people are judged by. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee. And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I think that shows just a little picture of the heart of God. <clears throat> what does he care about? So this Christmas season... I really want to challenge us to not just spend time with your family, not just give gifts to those who can repay you with kindness, but reflect God's heart in this season and care for those who will never repay you. Those who are sick, those who are in sin, those who are in bondage. I think we do well to, to as we celebrate this year, <clears throat> let's not be like the children of Israel and take for granted, progressively take for granted God's presence among us. That's the reason, that's the reason we celebrate. Um, it's because of a child born. His name was, his name, where does it say? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. That's why we celebrate. And Christmas is not just, oh, it's not actually at all about gifts. It's not about eating. 
and it's not about having fun. Those are things we've, we've made it somewhat about. Christmas is about God. Christmas is about Jesus coming to this earth. Christmas is about hope. Hope. And ultimately, it's about our salvation. Praise God. Let's kneel for prayer.